For April 5th, 2010, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 92. It was originally Woof. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. From the shaken, not stirred, left coast of America. That's right. We had an earthquake today. Well, Mexico had the earthquake, but we felt the, uh, we felt the shockwave as far away as here in Los Angeles. I think they felt it even as far away as Arizona. Though I guess certain parts of Arizona are closer to Mexico than Los Angeles. Huh. I should overthink geography. I am your host, Matthew Rather, here to overthink iPad, all things iPad, all the time. That's right. It's the 100% iPad show. We've got iPad apps. We've got iPad reviews. We've got... No, I'm kidding. I think it's a shame that the iPad does not have flash and that not enough sites that support HTML5 to make it worthwhile. Yes, support HTML5 video element with Og Theora streaming or H.264 or .265 streaming. No, um, it will be an iPadless show because if you've been anywhere on the internet for the last five days, a week, three months, it's been iPad, 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 iPad. Uh, I don't have mine. Uh, but in the chat room, Alexander Bevier says, but does the iPad blend? I'm sure those guys are going <laughs> to throw it in into the blend tech. Um, <laughs> they might have to chop it in half to get it into the blend tech. <laughs> I think that the, the, the iPad will not blend because hmm. it's larger than the blender opening. That is an interesting point. Like, at what, yeah, I mean, at what point does it become cheating, you know? Yeah, if like you, if you pre-chop it, you know, then it's it's not really blendable. Right, because you could have you could have sort of softened up the iPad. Yeah, um, I I don't have an iPad. I think none of the other panelists do. I'm I'm curious about it, but I'm going to see how it shakes shakes out before before we do it. I think pretty much everything that's been said about it is premature, and we only say premature things about popular culture. So uh, let's go. But um, tonight is a very special night. Why is this podcast different from all other podcasts? <laughs> because tonight we, we dip twice and eat the bitter herb? No, it's because tonight Peter Fenzel is on a bus somewhere between New Jersey and Boston and so will not be joining us. We actually probably via Skype could call his cell phone and... Uh, Annoy the crap out of all of his uh, fellow passengers on the bus. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> While we get him talking about Dragon Ball. I, you know, if he's taking both bus, if he's taking Feng Hua or something, you know, I, I don't think they have I, uh, uh, internet. They don't have, uh, uh, what do they use? They probably use Evdo and then share it in the thing with Wi-Fi. But I, they, um, if he's on, like, the Bolt bus or Megabus, they, they do have that. So, you know, he could, uh, he could hop on his G1, you know, the Skype app on his Android phone. Anyway. So, uh, no Fenzel at all. So, um, what, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The alphabet is all out of whack, you know? How are we, uh, how are we going to survive this podcast without Peter Fenzel? You know what? Let's make that the question of the week. Mark, what preparations are you making? What provisions are you laying in? Well, first of all, I do want to point out that Fenzel's power level was over 9,000, <laughs> and none of us are even appro- approximate that level of power. So, you know, it's going to be tough. But here's what I did. I, uh, I moved into the basement 
of this building. I didn't realize <laughs> there was a basement prior to me asking the landlord uh, about 20 minutes ago if I could go into the basement. And I also am surrounded by a, a ziggurat of soda cans, which I just drank and arranged in said ziggurat to provide the appropriate Fenzelesque environment. So I think I'm ramped up. I've uh, my, my power level's up. Maybe not quite 9,000, maybe, you know, 1150 or so. So uh, I'll, I'll do my best. It's great because you're caffeinated to the gills and you're harnessing the secret power of pyramids. <laughs> exactly. The ones the aliens left behind. <laughs> yeah. That is Jordan Stokes. What's going on? How are you? Oh, I'm, I've been better, you know? Uh, I've got to say, you ask, what preparations have we made to do this podcast without Fenzel? And I've basically been silently weeping. Oh. Why? <laughs> I mean, oh, you know, that's uh, there comes a certain point where uh, where you have to realize that the situation that you're in is untenable, and uh, rather than trying to sort of hope, you make your peace with God, right? Like it's it's a scene in Independence Day where they see the the wall of fire and cars flying down the street, and like some people are going to keep on running and and take the dog into the service tunnel, uh, and other people are just going to uh, you know accept their fate and i've decided i'm going to do the latter excellent i'm very i'm very uh i'm very glad all right i will go now what have i done i have quit my job in the theater and i'm taking a corporate job i'm I'm going to work in corporate communications now so that I can fill the uh, I can fill the <laughs> slot that pencil is. I have I have gotten out of the arts because I don't see a future in it, and I am getting a real job. Yes, yes, yes. Congratulations! Okay. Wow, that was the a desk shortest, is a fun place to that be. That was the shortest intro ever. <laughs> <sighs> Yes, I'm getting a real job. I've decided. I've decided. Uh, forget this. Forget this uh, acting grad school thing. It's time to make some some real money. It's it's time for you to add some value, Matt. Yeah, I, know. I feel like that's that's a very inside baseball Fenzel reference. I think oh, that out of all we, the things that I thought, the we, people I, on the podcast. <laughs> I thought we. I thought. I thought that we knew that, Mark. You see, we we've talked about our our places of work. Mine being the trenches of uh, grad school. Uh, Pete's being a unnamed, we keep it anonymous, uh, unnamed corporation and, uh, and, um, and Mark's being an, an, uh, ill, shadowy, ill-defined municipality, but, uh, we, we don't give, we don't give names, but yes, no, uh, uh, Pete had an, Pete had an arts job before, before he got wise to the, uh, to the thing, to the fact that no one gives you any money for working at an arts job. Hey, you know who just dropped in to who join just us on in? the Fenzel List podcast? It's Natalie Baseman. Woo-hoo. Hey, everybody, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for adding me in last minute. Yeah, no, we're glad because it's a Fenzel List podcast. We need all the podcasters that we that we can get. Fenzel is uh, <laughs> Fenzel uh, counts for like I think three of us. Yeah, I can see that in a good way. Of course, <laughs> of course. So, um, so we are glad to have you. Uh, anyone do anything exciting for Easter? Wait, Natalie has to answer the question. Oh, Natalie, the question of the week. Uh, yeah, you won't. We're, we're going to have to do this in a very yes and sort of way. Uh, okay. Question in the week is: um, What are you doing to make preparations for this podcast? Because Fenzel won't be on it. Are you laying in supplies? Have you uh, girded your loins in an especially 
powerful manner. Uh, what what manner of uh, what manner of preparations uh, have you undertaken? Well, I have actually crocheted a Fenzel like um, I guess life size doll. Whoa. Um, <laughs> it's currently. It's currently propped up next to me. So. Is, is he stuffed? Uh, yes, yes, of course. I, I wouldn't have him just flat there. Right? Yeah, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have a, a, a limp Fenzel doll or oh. Fenz doll, if you hey. will. Hey, this reminds me of uh, you guys. Familiar with the, the phenomenon of uh, in Japan where uh, folks have taken to getting uh, like fairly life size pillows with mm-hmm. anime characters imprinted on the pillows. And some Japanese men, particularly disturbed, lonely Japanese men, have taken to uh, conjuring up relationships with these pillows. And uh, James Franco and 30 Rock. Yes, yes, the James Franco 30 Rock uh, subplot. Right. Um, and, and clearly what we're, uh, this is presenting was a serious overthinking and merchandising opportunity. Life-size body pillows of the overthinkers. I'm a, I'm a really quick crocheter, so I can pop, <laughs> yes. them, out. I can pop them out really fast. Awesome. Natalie's going to custom make them for you. Hear that? We're taking orders now. Internet. Place them now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> that is the panel in our in our haphazard way. Um, uh, Sean Petrie in the chat room says, I'll take three Belinky. <laughs> I don't know. I think one Belinky is enough for, every, for anybody. Um, it was, uh, yes. And he recently celebrated a birthday. So, uh, you know. Oh, inmate wants one of all of us. No, <laughs> you got to choose. You have to choose your favorite. Uh, uh, you uh, you have to choose your favorite favorite overthinker. Who's your favorite overthinker? You know what? Don't don't answer that. All right, listener feedback. Listener feedback episode. Uh, and you know, if you want to get in on the action, the hot hot feedback action that you're going to hear on this podcast, you email us at podcast at overthinking it dot com, or you uh, can call the voicemail at two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Always um, make sure. Uh, always make sure to give your latitude and longitude in degrees, minutes, and seconds, because that is just how we roll. And if you don't, we're going to mock you uh, on the air. You also can call that voicemail and leave uh, leave just the word nerds, and we will <laughs> use those. Uh, we will use those eventually. I have about a dozen of them now, and we're we're contemplating ways in which uh, we can. Um, make your voices heard, uh, accusing us of nerdery and uh, calling us that. So um, we only do this every now and again on the listener feedback uh, episodes. Uh, so w- we're going to do it now. We are going to go all public radio on you, and we are going to ask that you uh, donate to support Overthinking It and the Overthinking It podcast. We make some money through... Uh, through the ads that we show on the site, the Google ads, we show the um, uh, we show the Google ads in the header and the sidebar. So you know, hey, you're not helping us if you're using that ad blocker extension. Though I, I totally understand if you are. I use one myself. Um, but uh, you know, we also uh, we also have an Amazon affiliate program, so that when we recommend things to you, though we don't recommend things for the affiliate links, we only recommend you know uh, products that the, uh, the movies, books, videos that we we really stand behind. But we you know we link to Amazon and we get I think a four percent kickback or something. It doesn't raise your price, but you can help overthinking it out if you buy your stuff through the link. 
uh, buy your Amazon stuff through the link on Overthinking It. And there is a donation, a PayPal donation button in the sidebar of the site, which if you have um, uh, ads or JavaScript or anything like that blocked, you probably can't see. So if you want to see the donation button, temporarily disable your ad blocker so that you can see that. And we ask uh, that, you know, if you can, maybe if you're blocking those ads, you know, if we're not, uh, we're not making money off you that way, uh, that you might, you know, throw a couple bucks our way. We've had, um, we've had donations as low as I think five or 10 bucks, and we've had them as high as, as uh, 50 and 75. I think 75 is the record. Maybe it's 50, but uh, you know, people, people given, given that much. And we, we are so grateful to you, whatever, uh, whatever amount uh, you can give to us. There's a cost associated with a website um, that is big, but not famous, like overthinking it. Uh, and there's a cost associated with hosting all this, po- this podcast stuff and doing the, the thousands of downloads that we do every month. Um, all that, that storage space on the internet and that bandwidth. Uh, it costs us money. And though we are at, at this point broken even, up to this point, uh, the bills keep coming. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's important that we keep that we keep flogging this issue. So I want to read one. Um, I want to read one. Uh, I want to read one issue. Uh, one uh, email from a user. This is David from Toronto, and he says, "Hi, Overthinkers. I just made a donation, and I wanted to give you some background on my reasoning. I recently listened to most of your back catalog of podcasts, about seventy of them in all." Uh, not a process for the faint of heart, but I enjoyed it immensely. In figuring out how much to donate, I had to think about how much each podcast was worth to me, and I came up with a figure of about 50 cents per podcast. For comparison, I subscribed to The Daily Show through through iTunes for about 10 bucks per 16 episodes, or about 62 cents per episode. Slightly more, but hey, it's Jon Stewart. So there you go. Happy to support your efforts to the tune of about 50 cents an episode. Keep up the good work. Well, thank you. Uh, for your support, Mr. David from Toronto, uh, no latitude and longitude, but I won't mock you because you are a, uh, you are a, a donator and, um, Hey, if that works for you, I am very happy that you consider, uh, an episode of the overthinking it podcast about two thirds as valuable entertainment wise as an episode of the daily show. I think that if we, um, uh, I think if we are hitting that, that mark, we are doing remarkably well. I mean, if only everyone in the country would give us about 90% of the money that they give Jon Stewart, we would be doing all right. <laughs> right. Absolutely. Yeah. Or not, you know, nine, if we got 90% of Jon Stewart's ad revenue, we would, be, we would quit our day jobs and do overthinking, uh, overthinking it. Uh, oh, someone in the chat room is asking for a breakdown of our... Um, <laughs> breakdown of our finances. Well... Um, Hey, we're not a publicly traded company. Yeah. We don't have to open our books. Uh, no. <laughs> Let me think about that a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, suffice to say that it's... Um, uh, suffice to say that... Uh, um, that we that we are breaking even. I, su- I swear to you that it, that it's true that we are solvent. Uh, that, our, that our income from ads, Amazon, and uh, donations, and, oh, the t-shirts. We get, we get a percentage of the t-shirts, too. Uh, are covering our operating costs, um, which are in the... Oh, uh, they have been in the low thousands of dollars a year. And, um, 
you know, uh, it's it's great. It actually, you know, when we took off, we took off first with the uh, eight popular eight uh, obscure so- uh, popular songs from obscure movies post. That was, I think, our first sort of viral hit. And then it really, really, uh, when the forty inspirational speeches video came out, that really. Um, uh, bumped us up, and so we, you know, uh, like we're hosted on a uh, not on standard web hosting. We're hosted on our own server, uh, which costs substantially more. Um, uh, inmate in the chat room says you don't need to talk about the Cayman or the Swiss accounts. That's right, we won't talk about the uh, Cayman or the Swiss accounts. So, um, what can you do if you can't? Donate. Well, you know, turn off your ad blocker. You know, would it kill you to click on a banner ad every now and again? Don't um, you want to know the one weird old tip? <laughs> 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 right. To, to tooth whitening. Um, yeah. The, uh, the, um, no, the uh, the uh, things that you can do without God, I lost, I lost it without Fenzel to keep me on track. I have, I have, uh, I have no brain. Here's what you can do. Uh, you'll find if you go to the Overthinking at homepage and load it up. <laughs> oh, I realize I've been video, I've been video broadcasting <laughs> the Amazon page for the first Star Trek: The Next Generation, no, Next Generation novelization uh, number one, entitled Ghost Ship. Um, if you go to the Overthinking at homepage, you'll see I just put up today a link to a listener survey. And we really could could uh, use it to help um, to help us with our ad agency for the podcast, uh, which is PodTrack. So if you were to click through that and spend ten minutes giving some information about yourself, none of the personally identified there's nothing personally identifiable, and nothing personally identifiable is used. It's only used in aggregate to get a picture of what our audience is like, uh, so that advertisers can. Um, uh, can decide, you know, whether they want to advertise with us. I, you know, I hope they do want to advertise with us. Can we give, can we give people a preview of what that will sound like? Uh, is, well, it'll, it'll be, be like this. It'll be, it'll be like this. This podcast is brought to you by One Weird Old Tip. Don't you want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we yeah, may have a, like exactly. a 30-second host read at the beginning about, about the One Weird Old Tip. <laughs> so, you know... I've been thinking, and I came up with this one weird old tip at www.oneweirdoldtip.com. Oh, thanks, chat room. You guys are doing it right now. Um, listen, the other thing that you can do, and so we would love everyone to take the listener survey. It takes 10 minutes. It'll really, it'll really help us, and maybe if we can get it, uh, maybe we can, uh, I, you know, I, I feel like a tool. I feel like a public radio tool asking you for donations, uh, but maybe we won't have to if, uh, if we can get the podcast to be ad-supported because, you know, we're we're doing numbers that at such that at a reasonable CPM, we actually could be self-sustaining in a podcast. And if we start to make money, you know, we will put it back into the site. You know what I mean? It's not like I'm going to take take the uh, take the overthinkers out for you know two rounds of mudslides at a Fuddruckers. It's going to be, you know, well, you're not. <laughs> No, it goes it goes right Damn. back into the site. We're gonna get the nicest font you have ever seen. <laughs> Actually, I've been thinking of subscribing to a like a web embedding font service for overthinking. But but uh but no, never you mind. No, we'll you know, we can do things like uh we can go to more conferences, you know what I mean? We may be able to uh uh, get nicer gear. We might be able to give some people some video cameras. I've, I, you know, it's been my my wish to do some kind of video show uh, for overthinking it, but we're just not we're just not in a place that that we can do it. We don't have the gear, and we don't we kind of don't have the time. So um, 
you know the the that that's what that's what you're supporting you know the the not only the operation but the expansion of overthinking it uh but the listener survey will will help us a lot and uh if you could go to iTunes and leave us a uh leave us obviously whatever review you think we deserve uh i'm sure you agree with me that we deserve a five star review um and uh, you know, write about it, especially, especially if you are in the uh, elsewhere in the anglophone world than the United States, because apparently all the iTunes stores are different. All the national iTunes stores have different reviews for the podcast. So if you are in, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, uh, Republic of Ireland, UK, um, Germany. I mean, doesn't have to. Sure, be Germany. Why not? Why not Germany? <laughs> you know, uh, is uh, yeah. No, is um, is Amy from Munich uh, still listening to us? Uh, the um, you know, uh, or uh, I know we have listeners in in non Anglophone countries. You know, I know we have listeners in in um, the Netherlands, for example, and and uh, elsewhere in Northern Europe, and and things like this. So you know, any anywhere. I mean, you know, if you could help us out in in especially in the non U.S. iTunes stores. Though, if you're in the U.S. iTunes stores, um, that would be that would be great. All right. So uh, that's it. That's my spiel. We do it once per listener feedback episode, and from now on, we will shut up about it. So let's move. Uh, let's move in. Uh, let's move in on the um, on the uh, on the listener emails. Ed Johnson from uh, from forty point eight two degrees north, seventy three point oh six degrees west says hello overthinkers. My question is regarding discussions of race. Oh boy, Ed, it's a hot topic. Um, <laughs> hot button topic. Uh, hot discussions of race that have come up on the podcast. Mark often speaks of these po- uh, uh, on these podcast topics as the, as he puts it, token Asian man. That's me. There's often, that's you. There's often funny ribbing of Mark as the only minority on the podcast, and he does seem very comfortable deflating common, deflating common ethnic stereotypes. But what would be considered too far? What would be the line be for a comment or a joke, even if said by a friend in jest? Uh, okay, well, Mark, let's get, you know, let's do some very deep sharing because this strikes me as like a very personal question. <laughs> well, for those of you who might not be aware, I am an Asian American male. So let's get that out of the way. Is everybody comfortable with that? I'll take that as a yes. Okay, so there's a few things to talk about here, um, uh, including, let's say, for example, the the, the ribbing of of me being the the token Asian man, and um, you know, what is the line for comment or joke, even if it's said by a friend in jest? I think clearly, if uh, you know, if Matt or Jordan or Natalie, if any of these fine folks here, you know, makes a joke about oh, Asians are good at math or or something like that, well, it's all about the safe space. I think this is a safe space, and I trust you guys. This is a safe space for racism. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that being said, when Don Imus says nappy-headed, nappy-headed hose on his show in reference to African-American female basketball players, that's clearly not a safe space for that sort of thing. Um, so I, I guess, for lack of a better explanation, um, you know the safe space when you're in it. And you know you're not. You know when you're outside of that safe space, it's pretty. It's pretty evident. I would say though that there's a sort of strange, uh, like ironical, uh, ethnic joking that goes on amongst uh, amongst folks. It's like, oh, I'm so sophisticated and so aware of race issues in America that with my Jewish friends I can make Jewish jokes. With my Asian friends I can make Asian jokes. That sort of thing. I've always found that honestly to be a little bit odd. 
not odd enough to the point where I would tell my friends, hey, I, I you know, my good friends who, who will, you know, slide an Asian joke over my way will say, hey, I'm offended by that. Uh, but enough to where, where I wonder, oh, you know, like what point do you do you, uh, uh, are, are you are you becoming part of the problem and not and not part of the solution? I agree with all of that. And I think that what plays into it that a lot of people don't usually think of first is if the joke's not funny, regardless of whether it has anything to do with race, it's not going to be a funny joke. If it's a funny joke and it happens to, then I think it slides a lot easier than otherwise so. Uh, so is it time to use their favorite overthinking word which is tautology was that if the joke is funny that it's funny is that what you're saying sure, <laughs> sure exactly I, I, I totally understand what you're saying but i just wanted to use the word tautology uh that is exactly you are more than welcome to say that <laughs> um well, well, the other thing that I want, I guess, that's being addressed here is uh, well, deflating common ethnic stereotypes. Um, I'm kind of wondering what what Ed is meaning by that, because oftentimes I feel like I am, in fact, re- reinforcing certain ethnic stereotypes, particularly the why is this thing, you know, making fun of Asian people? That that part um, where I have to be that guy who's always bringing that thing up. Um, I don't know if uh, if you guys have any thoughts about that. I will say just briefly on on that sort of in, in my role as the token minority podcaster, I do feel a, for lack of a better word, a sort of obligation to talk about these things and make sure that um, the point of view of an ethnic minority is being brought up. Because uh, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, all you white people out there, just, you know, <laughs> no, nobody knows the troubles uh, that you know that the, the oppressed, uh, darker skinned folk. I felt she haven't walked a mile in my shoes. Yeah, hey, if you don't hey, bring it up, it's hey, not like any of us me, are. Don't call me white. Don't call me white. That is our word. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh dear! Sorry, I stopped. I stopped right on you, Jordan. What did you say? No, I was just going to echo what Mark said. Is that yeah? That you have to bring it up because it's not like any of us, you know, chalky, pale, uh, albino. Um, <laughs> that got away from you somewhere in there. No, no one else is going to do it. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, so th- this is like, this is kind of a trend, right? Like Mark with, you know, I think that like maybe Sarah Silverman is the comedian most closely associated with the, the, uh, you know, saying racist things in the name of deflating the racism or mocking the racism or mocking the attitudes of racists, but you can't get around the idea that you're still saying racist things in order to, in order to do that. I mean, this seems to be a, 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 a trend, at least in our comedy, right? Well, yeah, the other example that quickly jumps to mind, again, going back specifically to the Asian thing, is, of course, Margaret Cho, um, who, whose use of the terrible Asian accent... Um, uh, mocking slash, uh, I don't know, I guess mocking is the word, mocking her mother, her own mother. Um, that that crossed the line for me, even though, like, you could construe that as being part of that safe space that I was talking about before. Um, just, but I guess to, to use Natalie's, it's, if it's a funny joke, it's a funny joke thing. It doesn't quite pass that test. Right. I feel like there are some people, though, that are always going to laugh just because of the transgression like I was, I don't know if any of you all saw the uh, the most recent episode of South Park, right? And they had this thing where all the guys got uh, testicular cancer, and they were bouncing around on their swollen equipment <laughs> as though they were uh, hippity hops. Oh dear! As one does. 
<laughs> as one is wont to do. Um, and this was not funny in the way that things are generally construed as funny, but it was definitely crossing the line. And I think that that was probably all that they were going for, because that's part of their shtick, is that they're just the people who take it further than you wanted them to take it. And I wonder, like, th- there's going to be some people that are going to laugh at uh, at the Margaret Cho racist voice or the Sarah Silverman racist jokes just because they were pushed out of their safe space, and that's enough for them. Safe space in a different meaning than we've been. Using yeah, they're they're pushed out of. They're, they've they're made to feel uncomfortable momentarily. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I think that there's a laugh. It's less prevalent now, but, you know, maybe 15, maybe 15, maybe 20 years ago, there was a big discourse in the culture about people feeling uh, kind of straitjacketed by the norms of, of political correctness. And I think that that's like, you know, this is a great sort of reactionary strategy to, to uh, brand, uh, to brand, you know, honest, if kind of, you know, comical, uh, still well-intentioned efforts at sensitivity as a kind of um, restriction on free speech, right? This is a, this is a triumph of, of uh, the reactionaries. But, um, you know, but the sense that like, well, I, you know, I, you know I'm, I have to call short people vertically challenged or something like this. And so people took a kind of, a kind of uh, uh, pleasure in, in, acting badly i guess but it, it maybe that's maybe that's gone now maybe that was belongs to 20 years ago because mm. perhaps I, you yeah, don't hear I, that I, as much yeah i, I guess like just to, to kind of wrap up the general point about you know when we talk about race um it, it is good to be reminded though that uh there are not they're not just hateful things that are out there uh, people are very are often still careless about their use of race and the use of stereotypes and aren't aware of how uh, of its effect that it has on on people. Um, the most flagrant example of this, of course, is the sales genie thing, which I don't think, uh, you know, uh, caught too many people off guard or it was, it's not like that. that's not that's not so much the coded racism that sometimes we like to. We like to point out that was a much more uh, obvious example of it, but um, without having something immediately ready on mind, there um, there's still a role that overthinking and other media observers have in pointing out these types of things and making sure that people's attention are there, not just for the sake of being you know politically correct all the time and being overly sensitive, but because it actually has real implications and it really uh, it affects people in real ways. End of Asian man rant. Hmm. There you go. We will we will leave it there for that one. Uh, RT, uh, no lat long, RT. We mock you. Ha, ha, ha. Mockery. Uh, writes in to say, I love your site. It's consistently hilarious and insightful. Oh, RT, I take back all of that mockery. I take it all. I take it all, <laughs> all, all of it, Matt? All of it? 100%. Anyone who calls overthinking it hilarious and insightful is okay in my book. I'm sure you get this all the time, but I have a topic that would be right for overthinking. As a kid, I absolutely loved a goofy movie. I sat down to watch it again recently and discovered the nature of the fictional world the movie creates is very unusual. Every character in the movie is a dog, but various characters behave more like dogs than others. 
Uh, Max has a Mickey Mouse telephone, which would indicate that Mickey retains the same celebrity status that he does in our reality. But at some point, Max mentions that Goofy's best friend is Donald Duck. It's also weird that the movie exists within the United States, complete with depictions of the Grand Canyon, Los Angeles, etc. And why are Goofy and Pete working as photographers in the mall? It seems very odd that they would have the same job when Pete is obviously supposed to represent the Joneses for Goofy. I mean, keeping up with the Joneses, right? Uh, Anyways, I thought I'd put that out there. Keep up the good work. Has anyone seen a Goofy movie on the panel? Yes. Okay. Just me? No one else? Wow, okay. Um, I saw it in 1995, so I'm going to be reaching back real far about this. Did Uh, you see a Goofy movie in theaters? Probably. Awesome. Yeah, you know what? I would say, sure. Fantastic. And the only thing that really sticks out in my head of that movie is Polly Shore saying, It's the Leaning Tower of Cheese. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and he made a Leaning Tower of Pizza with some cheese whiz. And it was great. But yeah, totally. The the whole dog world of of the, I guess... Looney Tunes verse or Disney verse, anything pretty much where where you have animals portraying humans and then even weirder when you have humans interacting with the animals who are portraying humans. I I don't think I ever was very comfortable with it. It always made me really weirded out. And uh, the Goofy movie, although uh, I probably did see it as an uh, at a very informative age, it didn't stick. So I, I don't think it was something that I really latched on to. Now, now correct, me if, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Goofy movie, Goofy movie is essentially the movie version of uh, Goof Troop, the TV show, right? Correct. And from what I remember, I haven't seen the Goofy movie, but from what I remember of Goof Troop, everybody was a dog, right? There weren't any humans. No, Pete, well, the chat room is correcting us. They're saying that Pete is a cat, as is his son. Oh, is that played up at all? Is that supposed to be a stand-in for different races? Are they Asians? <laughs> uh, <laughs> the what, what, what are you trying to say, Jordan? Yeah, I have no idea where that would go. That can't go anywhere good. Um, Essentially, I mean, the, the, the problem with Goofy always, for me, is that it's not that he's a dog that interacts with other people, but that Goofy is in the same universe as Pluto, and Goofy is a person, but Pluto is still a dog. I think that's right. what the commenter is kind of getting at there. And that, there's something very strange there. Well, this is... I if you were, Yeah. I was going to say, if you were going to do a live-action version of Goof Troop, you would have to have uh, Pluto played by a chimpanzee, right? To keep the same kind of uh, dynamic between <laughs> the, the human character and the pet character. You know, Shayna did off, a uh, you damn sh- dirty dog. Shayna did uh, <laughs> uh, like a typology of um, of cartoon dogs, didn't she? On uh, overthinking, yeah. that was, was um, you know, there's a there's a continuum of sort of more anthropomorphic to uh, more biologically dog-like, and there's a continuum a uh, an an, orthro- an orthogonal axis uh, that is from more. Um, speaks more English to speaks more like a dog barking. 
you know so pluto is you know is biologically a dog and sort of functionally a dog whereas goofy is biologically a dog but functionally well biologically more towards human but functionally totally human and like scooby doo is biologically entirely a dog but functionally uh you know a lot more human because he talks with shaggy and and this sort of thing right yeah yeah and you know i'm remembering actually I think that I think that a goofy movie is about race. I haven't seen it, but I'm remembering a review I read about it where if I remember this right, the thing is that the dogs, the children in the movie, and it's basically about the children, like Max, Goofy's son or nephew or whatever, is the main character. They act a lot more human than their parents. The parents' generation keeps a lot more doggy traits. And I remember reading this review that's like, this is an allegory of the the immigrant experience in America, of like the, the totally naturalized, nat- naturalized, that's not right. The totally West assimilated kids, right, who are kind of ashamed um, of their parents who are still sort of keeping some of the uh, the traits of the old country and the old ways. And like they, you know, they're doing things like sniffing fire hydrants or barking or whatever. And the kids are like, oh, my God, like everyone's looking can't you can't you like keep this under wraps? Come on. Don't you realize that we're in the 20th century now? And so on. Wow. It was like Coneheads then. Yeah, exactly like Coneheads, except animated. Where, and do they, where do they come from, though? Like, what, are they, what, are they, like, what are they evolving? Like, <laughs> what's, this is so strange. Yeah, so if you think about it in that way, right, that, that uh, as the children become more like Americans, they become more human, it becomes profoundly, profoundly bigoted. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Here's something else strange. I'm looking at the movie poster for this. And you know how Goofy and Max, they have the long, floppy black ears and the, the kind of the buck tooth and the very large black nose. Um, then there's a female character. I don't know who exactly this is. And I'm looking at on the left. who looks much more human um, with a, a much smaller nose and without the, the buck teeth either. Yeah, the girl, dog, the girl dog is like sexy girl dog, right? But, oh, yeah. Uh, she has aerial hair. Right. It's very much aerial hair. It's like exactly that. It's like lifted, probably just recycled it from the same animation style. <laughs> it, it was a cut and paste. Yeah. Well, sort of. Yeah. The um, didn't uh, what's his name from Chip? What's her name from Chip, Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers? Also have aerial hair. Uh, gadget. Gadget. I nearly said Gidget, but that's a different thing. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's Gadget, and um, I'm kind of embarrassed that I actually remember that. It's uh, yeah. It's um. Wow, so we learned Goofy's last name. His last name is Goof. Goofy Goof and Max Goof. There you go. That's the, that's the name that he took in Ellis Island when he first came over. Right, right. They, they, uh, they change it from Woof, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they couldn't, they, couldn't, they couldn't pronounce it. And they said Sibboleth because their tongues could not frame to pronounce the name. Uh, it's the the post is called from Scooby to Scrappy: An Analysis of Cartoon Doghood, and it contains something that we do very well on overthinking it. Uh, that I'm very proud of, which is a chart. It contains an excellent <laughs> chart uh, of cartoon doghood. Uh, one axis being acts like a dog, sometimes acts like a person, sometimes acts like a dog, and acts like a person. Um, and then uh, talks like a human and we understand, kind of talks like a, a human with a dog accent, talks like a human but we don't understand, and talks like a dog. Woof. So that, you know, um, like the person dog that talks woof is Snoopy, you know? The, right. 
the uh, doggy dog that talks like a human is a Doug in Up. Uh, though, I mean, that's with technological assistance, I gather. Yeah. It wasn't the, there was one spot on the chart, right, that is completely blank, that she yes. couldn't think of a dog that fits here. Let's turn that over to the podcast listeners who don't, who don't read the site, because I'd like to get that slot filled. What, what was it? Remind me. It's, um, so the, one, the slot that's not filled is the, uh, the dog that acts like a dog, but ki- all the time. So not like not like Brain from Inspector Gadget, who is pretty much a human, or Astro from the Jetsons, who is sometimes a human, sometimes a dog. Uh, but he kind of talks like a human with a dog accent, and he acts entirely like a dog. Um, now, Lassie... Uh, Lassie uh, is was one person that was proposed. Uh, it was one dog, <laughs> funny I say person, uh, that was proposed... Um, because, uh, you know, Lassie can talk to the, talk to the humans, right? Like, what's that? Timmy, uh, Timmy fell down a well, Lassie? Rough, rough. Uh, so, but, uh, Lassie is entirely a dog. Is not really, uh, is not really a human, but it's, uh, but is not animated. So kind of, um, you know, kind of doesn't do it. So we want, hey. we want, yeah. Hey, speaking of Lassie and Timmy in the well, um, what I've always wondered is, is that phrase actually from one of the TV shows or is that kind of an apocryphal, something that we've apocryphally like transcribed onto Lassie, kind of like played against Sam, you know, that line wasn't actually set in Casablanca. I mean, I, I, I haven't watched enough Lassie reruns to, uh, to be able to speak authoritatively. I've only, ever seen, I've only ever seen one or two. Because it's always no. Timmy in the well, right? Yeah. yeah, that's what everyone always says. Yeah. Well, internet, you have your homework, right? Yep, there you go. <laughs> Impress us. <laughs> and we have been on a goofy movie for a little while. We should probably push on. Hi, Overthinking oh. It. Oh, this one doesn't even have a uh, This one doesn't even have a name. Oh, Sam, Sam. Hi, Overthinking It. I am a recent New Time reader listener, and I love the work you do. Thank you, Sam. We won't mock you for not leaving your latitude and longitude. So much so that I went over a few of the episodes in the podcast I liked most to appreciate the wonderfulness uh, of your deconstruction of the popular culture. Huh. Okay, I have trouble parsing that sentence, Sam, but okay, pushing on. Uh, on your Silver Podcast, number 25, you investigated briefly the discussions, uh, the distinctions of certain social groups. Because I was listening recently to the collection of Cake, I think the band Cake, right? Uh, I started to think about the possible roots of these current-day social groupings in the popular culture. Would anyone care to, get, to investigate or give their own interpretation? For example, the song that got me thinking of this... Uh, was Rock and Roll Lifestyle, where the lyrics seem to allude to anti-hipster or anti-indie groups in the mid-90s. Thanks so much for the site. So I'm not quite sure what this question is about. Maybe it's about people defining themselves uh, uh, for or in opposition to social groups. So maybe what he's saying is that, like, that maybe you know, I'd have to go back and listen to our podcast. Maybe we said that there was a developing backlash against hipsterism, that like the hipster movement had come and that had generated a backlash. And he's saying maybe it's not that. Maybe there is a backlash community that sort of persists forward through time. So the real cultural roots of the current hipster backlash is not the hipster culture that they're lashing out against, but rather the people that are rather cake who are lashing out against indie rock in the in the mid 90s. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. 
So like cake are, are jocks, basically? Is that what you're saying? Well, no, because <laughs> cake aren't jocks, are they? I don't think so. I don't think so either. The um, I, I, I have to say I'm not super familiar. Cake belongs to that like mid-90s kind of bands, like one-word bands like Cake and Pulp. And, uh, you know... Funfetti. Right. (laughs) (laughs) They're glam rock. (laughs) I think you can't... I mean, you know, without rehashing all the reasons why we don't like the dirty, dirty hipsters, um, you know, I... uh, well, no, let's rehash the reasons we don't like the dirty, dirty hipsters. They're dirty. They're disaffected. It's a pose. They're trust funds. Turn off of mommy and daddy. You know, I, I, I guess Ryan lived for a little, Sheely, uh, who, you know, a writer for the site, is, and uh, my co-podcaster on the These Effing Teenagers podcast, which I hope you listen to. Um, I guess he uh, lived in Williamsburg or around it for a little while, and he, he would talk about the leisure class of Williamsburg, Brooklyn, who, you know, fills up the cafes during the day, who don't seem to have anywhere to go. That's a true statement. Yeah. They're there. Yeah. I've been to Williamsburg, and I try not to go too often. No, I, I, don't, I don't mean to be hating too much on, on hipsters or, or the, the Williamsburg community. Um, but the, the, rather, the, the phrase you use, it's a pose, um, without knowing exactly what all that entails, like seems to sum up my feeling towards hipsters. Yeah. Dirty, dirty hipsters with their skinny jeans and their their oversized glasses and their whimsical ironic haircuts and their bright pastel colors and their paps blue ribbon but i think that it's it's very true that while the particular traits that you have assigned to this uh this unclean group of the hipsters (laughs) are unique to that group there's always been a leisure class of one sort or another. Sure. And probably they tend to provoke reactions against them. Sure. So, you, I mean, you'd have to really do the research, right? I don't think that any of us are equipped to speak to this right now. But if you go back into the archive and, like, look at the ways that people were complaining about the coolest kids around uh, from 1920 to the day. Like, was there a website... Um, back in the 1920s called look at this uh, this you know effing flapper.com <laughs> <laughs> Jordan I don't know about that but I will say that well um, news, uh, people have been complaining about a fixie fixed gear bicycles I think for or reckless hipster bikes bike riders for a very long time I seem to recall like a, a, a New York Times article for hundreds of years ago about, um, if not fixed gear, fixy bicycles. And- These hipsters in Brooklyn riding their penny farthings up and down yeah. the cobblestone <laughs> streets. Yes. Before, before there exactly. was like a backlash, before there were multiple gear bikes, there couldn't be a backlash against fixie bikes, right? So um, <laughs> before that, there was a backlash against the bikes with the giant wheels. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are hipsters friends 10 years later? Like from the show Friends, were they the hipsters of the '90s, or were there already hipsters, or was it the my so-called life? Because I think, because when you think of it, Friends, those characters did nothing; like they mm-hmm. were just living a leisurely life. Did they have? Did they even notionally have jobs? 
Ross uh, is, a, uh, is an academic, so so no. Academic. <laughs> Rachel worked in a cafe. Monica was a cook. Uh, Matt LeBlanc was an actor. Wait, sorry. And then wait, I think wait, was, wait, 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 wait. An actor. Yeah, yeah. He went out. He went on auditions. It was no, no, like, yeah, no. I know. I know. He did. And there, there was the short-lived uh, Joey spinoff, right? But um, but like, wait, she was a she worked in a cafe. That is to say, she was a waitress or she was a like a counter, uh, uh, checker, what cash wrap person at a cafe. Yeah, and exactly, and, th- and they had that apartment. Exactly, there was actually, um, oh god, I'm have I'll have to look back and post later the actual article. But I remember reading in a class for college. Uh, about how friends set such unrealistic goals for that age group in the 90s because their apartment was incredible. They lived great lifestyles. They went out. They ate out. They had good clothing. And none of them had any kind of uh, job or any kind of income that would allow them to do that. So now that spawned a whole generation of people thinking that they can live like that but they don't have to work for it. Not to mention that uh, a goofy-looking guy like Ross uh, could sleep with uh, Jennifer Aniston. Right, or that angles so with a part in the middle would look good on any face. <laughs> uh, so, oh, my God. I, I try to forget Friends. <laughs> I was going to put that out there. I try to forget that that show existed and that I watched it frequently. Okay, so we, we learned from the chat room that Rachel did eventually become a buyer for Saks, that the apartment was rent-controlled, uh, uh, and that it was given to them by Monica's aunt or grandmother. Wait, isn't that illegal, though? When, like, you, you can't actually grandfather those apartments or something like that? Yeah, they, they almost actually got kicked out of it once, because really, the really super of their building, like... Uh, had been letting it slide, but they did something to insult him, and he threatened to tell the owner about it, at which point they would be, you know, out on the street. Oh, yeah. But, I mean, that ha- God, I know all kinds of people with rent-controlled apartments in New York who s- sublease them illegally, you know? <laughs> well, don't tell part, part, part of the problem, not the solution. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Rent it's interesting. Control. So, like, you've got you've got, like, a scholar... And a cafe girl and an actor. It's basically La Boheme, right? Right. Exactly. Except I, that nobody dies of tuberculosis at the end. So, it, I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what you were saying, Natalie, is that it, it created an unrealistic expectation that uh, That you can live this lifestyle and not die of tuberculosis. Yeah. Right. And, and even with the relationships, everyone pairs up at the end. Everyone's happy. It's, it's a completely mm-hmm. perfect scenario. And, of course, it is a sitcom, so, of course, it's going to be perfect. But, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's what made me think I could one day move to New York and not live like a homeless person. Hey, speaking of uh, depictions of actual reality of New York apartment living on television, has, do any of you know, in a ch- chat room as well, if bedbugs has ever been a plot point on a major sitcom for characters living in New York City. Oh, that would be gross. It would be awful, but it'd also be extremely true to life. I mean, yeah. if they really wanted to, you know, to, to get edgy with TV about how gritty and true and true to reality it is. If the wire were in New York City, they're yeah. like <laughs> prominently in it, I'm it, sure. It would be about bedbugs. It would be about waking up being covered in small red welts. 
Oh, God. I saw saw something hilarious today. I was out on the street in New York, and I'm pretty sure that this is is a sociology experiment because it was uh, sitting on the side of the road. It was a very nice rolling suitcase, and there was a post-it note on it that said, bed bug free, help yourself. (laughs) And I am convinced that is going to be there when New York sinks into the Atlantic, right? No one is going to touch that suitcase. This is New York, man. Someone will take that. Also, it wasn't written several different languages. So, I mean, that's that's interesting, right? That's there's a name for that in psychology, isn't there? Like where you prime something with, you prime someone with an idea, so that if you prime them with the idea of bed bugs, the suitcase becomes repulsive, even even if even if you're you're you know asserting that it's free of them. Yeah, kind of like this podcast. <laughs> yeah, now become repulsive by being associated with the bed bugs. Uh, I'm sorry I brought that up. Just we move on to a new topic. Yeah, both, both both friends and bed bugs are disgusting me right now. Uh, <laughs> all right, let's kick it over to Jordan, who is going to talk a little bit about Alice in Wonderland because we have a voice. We have an email from uh, Arjen from um, from the middle of the Netherlands, uh, 52 uh, degrees, 2 minutes, 18 seconds north, 5 degrees, 10 minutes, 17 seconds east. Uh, he writes in about Alice in Wonderland. Stokes is the only one of us who's seen that film. So, Jordan, can you uh, tell us what Arjen or Arjen has to say? It's a long, uh, long email, and there are a few things. We're not going get to get to them all. Um, but I think that... Well, one of them. Let's first let's talk I'll about. That, I'll uh, say Stokes that I I learned in subsequent email follow up with with uh, Aryan Arjen, I think mm-hmm. Aryan probably um, that he is uh, he is like you a graduate student and he is dissertating at the moment. Oh, rock on, Aryan. <laughs> so um, let's touch on two things. One is that he he, uh, he brings up that. In the movie Alice in Wonderland, the Tim Burton one, Jabberwocky is sort of a sacred text. The poem Jabberwocky seems to be the prophecy that, uh, that Alice is supposed to fulfill. And I don't really agree with, uh, with Arian on this, but I think it's a fascinating idea because kind of the point of Jabberwocky, the reason that that poem exists, is Lewis Carroll was sort of trying to write something where none of the words had any real meaning and you kind of had to put it all together from context or from their resemblance to other words that really did exist and so on. And having that as, a, as like a sacred text, a prophecy that's supposed to come true, would open all kinds of fascinating storytelling potential. Right, because that's what people do with sacred texts is you sort of like it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but you twist it until it gets to be the meaning that you want it to be um, i mean i guess i'm I'm uh, giving a little bit more of a biography of my view of sacred texts than we generally do on this podcast, but I don't see that happening in the in the movie, basically Jabberwocky, if that is the prophecy, it has one meaning, and everyone kind of knows what it means, so I think it's a fascinating thought, but not really what was going on. The other thing that uh, that he talks about that I think is maybe we can uh, get more out of from the whole panel is the idea of the way that 3D was used in that movie. And let me, uh, let me read what the, what it, what it says here. Um, I did see it in 3D, and while it was nicely done most of the time, there were some moments you could clearly see the 3D was added later on. In several scenes, the image looked as though it was divided up into a a few discrete flat surfaces in which everything took place, kind of like a 19th century diorama. At these times, I felt the 3D detracted from the experience of watching the movie rather than adding to it. And then the other thing is, uh, having seen it in the Netherlands, there were Dutch subtitles, 
which then had to be worked into the 3D. And uh, Aryan finds this very distracting because they tend to be placed sort of floating in front of the action. And when, uh, when the action is taking place sort of directly behind the subtitles, of course, this turns into a problem uh, because you have to like adjust the depth of field focus in your eyes. You're automatically going to be reading the words and then you can't see what's going on in the background because your eyes have focused on the thing in the foreground, right? So was was Alice in Wonderland done from the beginning for 3D, or did like halfway through the production process they uh, decided to like upconvert it? Yeah, halfway through they decided to upconvert it, uh, which explains that because yeah, that's a very that. similar. People have been complaining similarly about the Clash of the Titans. How it was right. uh, upconverted to 3D and it looks terrible. That it's like a di- it, it looks like a diorama, right? With you know stand up cutout figures. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Without uh, having seen think, it, maybe. but that's just what they say. No, you know, the subtitle pro- problem, the 3D subtitle problem was solved, I thought, pretty elegantly in Avatar, you know? Except for the fact that it was in freaking papyrus. No, I did that. Anyway, continue. <laughs> um, I think we are like the second or third Google result if you Google Avatar font. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous sometimes the things that you learn when you read our site analytics. Um the uh yeah this well this thing like it's not it's sort of not a nat- natural it's not a natural world like avatar did it a lot more naturally i think by just kind of presenting the world now even in avatar they had rack focus effects where you know where something in the background is sort of blurred out and, and because the camera is focusing close to, closer to the foreground and that should not happen in a totally realistic 3d world right we our eyes don't do that when we look at uh when we look at 3d really everything should be in focus and you just happen to be focusing and you just happen to be looking uh at at a certain at a certain thing wait is that true i don't think that is true I sure, think that actually the, the the ability the ability of the uh, the camera to have everything in like to do a really deep focus where things in the background and in the foreground are clear is an ability that the camera has that our eyes lack. I'm lo- uh, well, okay. I'm doing a little experiment now. I'm looking at my computer, and it seems like my um, seems like my you know the other wall of my apartment and the windows and things like this are in focus. Now I have I have double vision because my eyes are 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 focused crossing you know at mm-hmm. that thing but it's yeah if you if i close one eye you know i can see both my finger and the uh and the 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 um the wall across in focus i don't well i don't know okay you know, i think what it is is that um the the camera can be either like you're 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 not in a big enough space if you're in like a you know in a in a football field, right? Okay. You can't have the the other the other side of the stadium in focus and the people near you in focus. So, like the eye has like one depth of field, and then the camera can be either too narrow or too deep. Um, but it, it's interesting in three D that like I found when I watch three D movies, if you try to look at the part of the screen that isn't in focus for you it actually causes physical pain. Right. Whereas usually when you're watching a 2D movie, you can, like, you can look around the whole screen and pay attention to the monster before it pops into focus in the sure. background. So it's kind of an interesting... There's a little bit more control over what you're looking at in the 3D version. Yeah. Yeah, there are definitely, like, there are angles, there are ways to tilt your head. Like, if you, unless you get it right on, um, it is headache-inducing. Even, in its, even the good ones are, can be headache-inducing. Yeah. 
that's Did why you? I don't see 3D movies at all. <laughs> I I haven't. No. Oh, I'm. I saw Up in 3D, and it gave me a headache. And it was fine. It was fun. It was better than the 3D movies I remember when I was a kid. But then when it came around to going to see Avatar, I opted not to see it in 3D, which. Um, according to general public was the totally wet blanket lame thing to do but <laughs> and i went and saw it with my parents and they were super bummed out that we weren't gonna see it in 3d oh <laughs> come on natalie can't we go see it in 3d no mom. no I, told I, I just have i have no interest in seeing it in 3d it's like if a movie if a movie can't be good without 3d then I, I don't know. I don't need to have 3D. I have 3D all around me right now. <laughs> I love uh, The Science of Sleep. Right? Did everyone see that movie where he has the 3D glasses for real life? And like, he's like, look, you put on these glasses and you see everything in 3D. And they're like, we're, we're already seeing it. And he's like, well, come on. Don't, don't be a jerk about it. Yeah. I, I don't need it. We don't need it. I'm angry now. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> let me let me say one thing before we move on from Alice in Wonderland. The idea that some of the scenes were like pop up book, these like discrete planes, it, absolutely. Like watching the movie, that's what it felt like in 3D. But I thought that that was the coolest thing, and I think that um, the faster 3D movies get away from just representing the way that 3D works in real life the faster it'll actually become, like, an expressive tool in cinema. I mean, it's just like with, uh, with things like the introduction of color, right? When you use color to represent the way that color works in real life, okay, fine. But the movies where we talk about color being an awesome part of the movie, so things like, I don't know, Vertigo is a good example for that, right? It's because the use of color is applied with a broad brush and is nothing like the way that color works in real life. So I, I, I applaud, even though I understand that in this case it was just a technical glitch that they uh, they they had to do it later on. I think the fact that it looked like a nineteenth-century diorama was my favorite part, actually, of Alice in Wonderland. Though it was totally, you're back justifying. You're like retro. You're retconning it into a. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't. I don't think it was done on purpose. But like whether whether it was, it was done was on cool. purpose yeah, or not, it, it was it awesome. Does, yeah, I it doesn't thought. bear on whether it's cool or not. Yeah. yeah, that's well. That's cool. I, I, I mean, I agree that like as, as soon you know, you have to get away from the sort of the, the idea that you're you have to represent life according to a certain set of of codes because you know you can't make art when you're in a straitjacket unless you're that guy who painted with his foot or an <laughs> elephant. <laughs> I either one of those. Well, we managed to do it. We managed to waste an hour of your time with no uh Pete Fenzel uh helping us helping us along. Um I, I don't know how we did it. Fenzel, we missed you, man. Get get back soon. I hope that bus doesn't take another week to get from New Jersey to Boston. So that was the listener feedback episode. If you want to get in on the listener feedback, you can uh, email us at podcast at overthinkingit.com or call 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. Make sure to give us your latitude and longitude in degrees, minutes, and seconds, or else say something nice about us, or, you know, donate to the site. And uh, I promise I won't, I won't make a big deal. I won't even mention it again 
until the next listener feedback episode. But to those of you who can donate in whatever amount you can donate, we appreciate your donations. To those of you who can't, what's that? Also, buy an overthinking T-shirt. We haven't pimped them on the podcast yet. Oh yeah, we have official Otis branded T-shirts. There's logo gear now. Yeah, we have an overthinking it logo T-shirt. Not just the uh, not just the funny ones, Um, but a totally non-funny, totally serious. Uh, overthinking it t-shirt. Um, also, if you shop on Amazon, you can use our affiliate link to Amazon. Uh, if you can't, you know, if you can't donate, and that's fine. I, you know, I understand perfectly well. You may not have a ton of cash lying around to give to some random website, even if it does entertain you every day. Uh, but to those of you who can, we appreciate it. And to those of you who leave a comment uh, and a very nice review for us on your national iTunes store or who take the survey, uh, which you can find on the Overthinking It uh, homepage uh, right there in the podcast box, we appreciate that as well. We just appreciate you listeners, especially in the listener feedback episodes, because we realize how brilliant you all are. You, you're the overthinkers. Not us. No, us too. But, uh, you know, all of us. And you know where we all meet together so that we can overthink things as a great big team? Why, it's www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It It probably doesn't. Release the Kraken!